Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, hello, Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, and on my way to that master's pin. Uh, I'm also your Commodore of Cocktails and your weekend wine guy. And, uh, hey, it's July. I hope you all had a safe and happy 4th of July, the independence of America. Uh, and uh, we're off and running and burning in the sun. Be sure to wear that sunscreen. And be sure you've got plastic tumblers when you're out drinking by the pool so you don't break any glass and get any cuts, because I care, remember. Uh, and drink in moderation. I drink all day <laughs> in moderation. Uh, and when I'm drinking, you know, these days with... Uh, um, you know, my age, my metabolism slowed down just a bit. Uh, I think it's working on trying to grow some hair follicles. But uh, these days, you know, we have to drink well. And drinking well not only means having quality spirits and quality wines and beers and, and think local but drink global, um, but also means think about the things you put in your mixers, whether or your cocktails, and, and uh, make sure you've got clean ice, make sure you've got fresh uh, garnishes, and also quality mixers. And there's a whole host of new mixers out there, right? There's a bunch of bottled waters and artificial flavors, and and that, that little dirty little secret it's called high fructose corn syrup is uh, out there and it's waiting to get you. Uh, it's causing our our country to be um, a little more rotund, if you will. But, uh, you know, we've got people out there who are entrepreneurs and uh, um, outside thinkers and who want to solve problems. And I'm happy to have uh, a guest who is all the way from Brooklyn, New York. It's Jordan Silbert, and he is the, uh, well, he's the all-star with a brand new mixer uh, called Q. And uh, Jordan, welcome to Happy Hour. Thank you, Uh Nice to be here, Christopher. Yeah, happy Saturday night. Uh, we got a great connection. I love it. It's like reach out and touch someone. Oh, <laughs> can you imagine if that was still the, <laughs> the logo for Mob? <laughs> yeah, yeah, not yeah. so appropriate. Too these funny. Days. All right. So, uh, are you a uh, um, a spirits or cocktail aficionado? And you said you wanted to get in this biz, or tell me the story about Q. Um. So, yeah, I guess the answer is yes. In particular, gin. Um. I really like gin, and uh, ah, geez, it's been now almost 13 or 14 years, um, but it was a warm summer night in Brooklyn. Um, Brooklyn's winters aren't so good, but the summers are pretty fantastic, and I have a nice backyard, or I had a nice backyard, and I had a couple friends over, and we were drinking gin and tonics, um, gin and tonic after gin and tonic, and a couple <laughs> drinks in, uh, my teeth started getting a little sticky, and um, one of my friends was telling the same stupid story he always tells. Uh, so uh, I picked up the bottle of tonic water and looked at the ingredients and saw, you know, 25 grams of high fructose corn syrup, natural and artificial flavors, sodium benzoate. I was like, that's kind of weird. I thought tonic water was like bitter water or something. Yeah, club um, soda and quinine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one of my pals then girlfriend, now wife and mother of his two kids, was drinking like uh, Sprite that night. She had like some stomach ache or something. So I was like, hey, Sarah, can I look at your Sprite for a second? She said, sure. And I looked at it. 25 grams of high fructose corn syrup, natural artificial flavors, uh, sodium benzoate. I'm like, guys, these are like the same thing. Just one's green, one's yellow. That's crazy. 
and being my good friends, uh, they're like, you know what else is crazy? Uh, we talked about 5,000 other things. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I guess you talk about being a little older now. Yeah, I used to be able to have five or six gin and tonics on a Tuesday night and be pretty good on a Wednesday morning. Um, I had five or six gin and tonics at least that night. And uh, gin has a real way of clarifying my thinking. I can really identify what's important with the world. Um, but all of a sudden, five or drinks in, six drinks in, I looked up and realized everything was fantastic. You know, we had the Christmas lights strung up. It was a beautiful night. <laughs> Best friends in the world are there. And I was like, everything's fantastic. What a great night. Then I looked over the bottle of tonic water and I was like, what a piece of crap. You know, the label looked like it was designed in 1958. It was peeling off the plastic was like dented and crusty, and I obviously knew the liquid in the bottle uh, was lousy. And I was like, why isn't there better tonic water? Why is everything else great except the tonic water? You know what? I'm going to make a better tonic water. And uh, long story short, I did. Um, took me a while. I made it up in my kitchen. My roommate at the time uh, accused me of turning the house into a, a mess lab because I had pots <laughs> and pans and everything going. But eventually I came up with a prototype, and I posted it like on, the, uh, on one of these foodie websites. I said, hey, I'm Jordan. I live in Brooklyn. Does anybody want to try my tonic water? And in retrospect, it all makes sense. Like This was 2007-ish, kind of the beginning of this whole mixology sure. uh, movement going on in the, in the U.S., and I immediately got an email from Jim Meehan, uh, who at that point was the head bartender at Gramercy Tavern, um, and Sasha from Milk and Honey, like literally the two uh, leading mixologists in the U.S. And they said they'd love to try the stuff. So I went down to the bars and uh, tried them on it, and they loved it um, because it tasted as good as everything else they could ma make. You know, By this point, they were uh, squeezing their own fresh juice. They were muddling their own fresh herbs. They were even you know, infusing you know, rosemary into vodka, but they sure. couldn't make tonic water because they didn't have a real soda plant to make it. So when I came in there, it wasn't anything, my sales pitch or anything, like I just had a really good product. I was using real quinine from real trees, just a little organic agave, and a lot of carbonation. And they said, you know, this is terrific. Uh, I'd like to buy it. Um, who's your distributor? And I was like, I don't have a distributor or anything. So I borrowed a car and delivered my first cases uh, out of the back of that car at 2.30 in the morning to Milk and Honey. Wow. And uh, got paid cash out of the register. Um, <laughs> and we were off and running. Uh, a couple weeks later, uh, a gin company found me and they drank the stuff at Milk and Honey and um, invited me to an event at Rockefeller Center where um, people were, you know, it's a tasting event or something, and it was, we were going to pour terrific gin and tonics. And night of, uh, we had a good old time, poured a lot of gin and tonics, drank a lot of gin and tonics, um, and the head writer from the New York Times food section came up and tried the gin and tonic and then the tonic, and she loved it. Um, wow, you're and, at the right uh, place at the right time, man. This is exactly, good. Exactly, exactly. And then the next morning, I got a call from the fact-checking department in the New York Times, and I'm like, oh, my God, and oh, my God. Uh, like, I didn't have a website or anything. I got a website up in a day and a half, and by the time <laughs> the article hit, um, uh, uh, I had my phone number, and that next week I got calls from like 800 places around the world. Wow. Uh, literally bars in Japan were, buying, were calling me. Wow. Uh, I said no to just about everybody except the flagship Whole food store in uh, Austin, Texas. They wanted to buy a whole pallet, which I didn't even know what a pallet was. Right. Said yes. Uh, figured out how to get it on a truck down to Texas, and 
uh, then me and my then girlfriend, now my, my wife and mother of my two kids, went down for a weekend of demos and sold through the palette. And by the time I got back, I said, I think I might have something. Um, so that was, yeah, 12 or 13 years ago. Wow. And I, I want to say it's been roses and candy canes ever since, but it's been step by step by step. For four years, we just did tonic water on its own. Basically, I didn't have... Uh, the ability to do anything more. I was spending a week on the line uh, producing the stuff, a week on at home uh, distributing it, next week trying to get paid, and then the fourth <laughs> week, I don't know, trying to sign a new business and spend some time with my girlfriend. Um, but eventually, about four years later, I got my act together. And from day one, we had these fancy bars and restaurants asking me, Jordan, I love your tonic water, and I'm embarrassed to have the Schweppes ginger ale next to it. Uh, uh. Can you make a ginger ale uh, as good as your tonic? And while you're at it, ginger beer should be pretty easy, um, and club soda should be even easier. Uh, <laughs> why don't you come up with other flavors? And finally, we started coming out with other flavors, and now we have this full line of spectacular carbonated mixers. We've got eight different flavors, you know, tonic, ginger beer, ginger ale, club soda, cola, grapefruit, a couple of tonic water variations. Um, and our stuff is sort of sold at like thousands and thousands of retailers and thousands and thousands of the best bars and restaurants around the country. Boom. How about that? Well, um, this is really yeah. cool. I've got all the flavors in front of me, but I want to step back and let's talk about, did you do research on tonic? Did you look for some older recipes? What inspired you to, to find your particular blend? And, and uh, were you self-bottling and putting on cap, crown cap? yourself how'd that go so in terms of the recipe like again i really like gin uh, and i still really like gin and all of our mixers have the same kind of three things uh they have real ingredients so we have like real quinine from peru in our tonic water we have real ginger from cochin india in our ginger uh, in our ginger ale and ginger uh, beer real grapefruits from florida uh, in our um, grapefruit, and that gets a really strong, bold flavor. Then the next thing we have is a lot less sugar. We actually use fancier sugars. We use organic agave or organic cane. Um, and what that does is, first of all, it's better for you. But sugar, forgetting all the health reasons, right? forgetting that sugar makes you, as you said, fat, lazy, tired, uh, <laughs> causes diabetes, lazy. might cause cancer, uh, put all of that aside. Uh, if you're a drinker, sugar's bad for another reason, because it masks the subtleties in whatever you're mixing it with. You know, you think about when you start drinking and you're drinking, you know, uh, vodka and tang or uh, wine coolers. Those are really sweet, and that's because you want to just taste the alcohol. You, you don't want to taste the right. alcohol. You just want the effect of this. But now, say you want to taste a Hendrix gin or a Maker's Mark whiskey or uh, the subtleties of particular rum, um, if you put too much sugar on top of that via your mixer, you're not going to taste all those subtleties. And it is a phenomenal time to be a drinker right now. <laughs> not only are all, the, all these craft distilleries doing really interesting and fantastic things, but the big guys actually make really good spirits. You know, Tangeray is a great gin. Um, who cares that it's made by Diageo? It actually tastes wonderful. Um, and... Uh, oh, like Diageo's so many, the big bad wolf, huh? <laughs> yeah, just, you know, just no. Um, and if you have a tonic water with too much sugar, you can't taste all those great notes. Or if you have a uh, ginger beer with uh, too much sugar, you can't taste the subtleties of good rum or even a good vodka. Um, 
And uh, if you have too much sugar in your mixer, you just can't taste any of those subtleties. So the second thing we have is much less sugar. And I knew I wanted that because I love to taste the gin. And then we have more carbonation. We, have, we use a custom, we, I made a custom thick bottle um, uh, so I could put more carbonation in my, really? in my bottles. Yeah, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure out the way you make a gin and tonic or vodka soda stay fizzier longer is to have uh, – the mixer start with more carbonation and uh, with stock bottles, you can only put 4.1, 4.2 gas volumes of carbonation in between before the, like, the glass breaks. Uh, Is that an atmosphere like champagne? I mean, that's why champagne bottles are thicker too. Cause they got a lot more pressure, right? Exactly, 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 exactly. So we have a thicker bottle that enables us to put more carbonation in. So again, we had three things. That was like my first revelation that night in my backyard that I was like, I want a tonic water that has strong, crisp, bold flavor, uh, a lot less sugar, a lot drier, and a lot more carbonation. So I knew that was my recipe, and that's where I was steering towards. And with each flavor, that's kind of where I steer towards. Wow. Um, it's interesting. I just opened up a bottle, and you're right. It's very effervescent. Uh, is that, that could be part of the sales ploy, too. <laughs> you get a little, uh, what do they call it, espumosa, and uh, it starts popping totally. out. Totally. Like Granted, I started a carbonated mixer company, but nothing on the planet drives me more nuts than a flat gin and tonic. Like, oh, yeah. Life's hard. Life's complicated. Like, your gin and tonic should be pretty pretty delightful. Pretty spectacular. Did you come yes. up – how long did it take you to come up with this? Is this your uh, trademark sales name, or what do they call it, a sales mark? Or... Yeah, so I, I don't know. We, we actually have aspirations. So people um, always ask me, oh, what's your secret sauce? And what I tell them, our secret sauce is that we're actually just trying to make – spectacular mixers. You know, there's all these craft distillers, craft winemakers, craft beer companies that actually try to make good tasting liquid. Um, the big uh, uh, tonic water and mixer companies, you know, Schweppes and, and Canada Dry uh, and Coke and Pepsi uh, are actually just trying to ta- make the most cost efficient thing to produce as opposed to the thing that's going to be the most spectacular, it's most delightful. So I think it was one night after too many gin and tonics. We said, oh, why don't we put spectacular on our, on our bottle? Um, and that uh, can show everybody like our aspirations for how great we want our stuff to taste. I love it. Speaking with Jordan Silbert, who is the uh, the chief uh, mixer, mixologist for uh, Q Tonics, the uh, Great Spirits Reserve Spectacular Mixers. Uh, so gin is really your muse, which I think is really funny um, and so fun. Um, uh, we're going to take a little break, but I do have a beautiful box filled with two, four, six, seven different bottles, and uh, I've already opened the tonic and took a sip. When we come back from this break, we're going to chat about uh, these particular flavors and taste them on air. So stick around, folks. We're going to have some of the best tonic, uh, best mixers in the world right, right here on Happy Hour Radio. He's live. He's local. He's all Northwest. Lars Larson. Weekdays, noon to 3. Talk Radio 570 KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back. Time for round two. Hope you got something tasty in your glass or heading someplace delicious. It is uh, summer in Seattle. And uh, you're probably in the backyard uh, grilling and chilling, and hopefully you got some great beverages to accompany uh, whatever greatness or perhaps spectacular beverages is what we got. We've got Jordan Silbert, who is the uh, – what's your, what's your title, Jordan? I am the founder and CEO. Excellent. The CEO of Q Mixers. Um, and how did you come up with Q? 
So it all started with a question, like, why is my uh, tonic not as good as my gin? Uh, okay, I like that. That's um, well. That's it. That's it. Sometimes the uh, the answers are right before <laughs> before us. Yes. Uh, so I'm curious, how many batches did it take for you to figure out the recipe for your tonic? A lot. A lot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. I don't know. A year when I was doing it, I you know had another job, uh-huh. um, but I would do it after after work or on weekends. You know, I'd get invited to someone's house for drinks. And um, I'd make homemade gin and tonics, and people loved them. And oh, you're, you're a good, iterated good, and iterated, yeah. A good person to invite to a party, I take it. Uh, I'm curious, did, how did you source the ingredients? I mean, I know that quinine is is that from Italy or someplace else? Peru. Peru. Um, ah, uh, Peru. I want to be all clever, but it was the internet at first. <laughs> okay. And then, um, you know, I ordered a bag of bark on the internet and started mixing stuff up in my kitchen. What does it look like? Uh, is it powdered? Is it uh, look like cinnamon or cassia? Or what yes. does that look, does it look like that? Yeah, powdered cinnamon. And do you, uh, does it dissolve? Is it dissolve clear or do you steep it and then strain it? How does that work? So at the beginning, it was steep it and strain it. Now, you know, we make lots and lots of bottles and sure. uh, we have a com- uh, you know, industri- uh, commercial process for it where we basically, big picture, use a very, very fine filter. Um, okay. And it get, takes, it removes the color um, and the, uh, not to get too technical, the agitate. Um, with carbonated beverages, you don't want any partic- uh, particulate oh, right. in, in the bottles or else it like overflows like a science experiment. So you really got to get all of that out. Um, and there's an extraction process uh, that we use now. Um, but with my first one, I was just using a strainer, <laughs> using just like multiple, like multiple coffee filters, multiple strainers, and just trying to get it as um, strained out as possible. And then would put the carbonation in carefully and stir it. All right. You now, were truly now, breaking now. bad, huh? I can see that. Yes. And the show was on back then, too. Wasn't that when it started, 2008 yes, or something? Yes, Pretty exactly. funny. Uh, well, I see you have this tonic, and I'm tasting it. Um, very well balanced. Uh, it's quite delicious. I like that it has a hint of sweetness, because, and I do like bitterness. I think the older we get, the more we appreciate the, well, the bitter side of life, or maybe we're just bitter about life. <laughs> Not yes. sure. Um, I see an Indian tonic, and I'm, I'm uh, curious what makes it Indian. So, Indian tonic... So whether people are ready for a bedtime story or not, or at least uh, sitting there waiting uh, for an entertaining story, I'll tell a story quickly of tonic water. So there's this thing called quinine, which is a bitter anti-malaria medicine initially from Peru. Um, And uh, during colonialism, uh, the Brits gave it to a bunch of their soldiers all over the country, all over the world, who were fighting in uh, areas with malaria. Uh, including India, and um, a bunch of, there wasn't really a war on in India, and a bunch of either entrepreneurial, intrepid, or drunken officers in the British Army in India um, decided that instead of taking this bitter medicine at dawn with their troops, 
they would just put it in, a, make it a cocktail, and they put it in with their gin, a little sugar, and uh, carbonated water, um, and it would be a gin and tonic. And uh, then they would come back to England um, and go to their club or whatever, and the bartender would say, you know, sir, what would you like to drink? And uh, the guy would, you know, look at the prettiest girl in the room and say, oh, I'll have a gin and tonic, and show, this showed he was a tough guy and had been in the army. Oh, because um, it was bitter. So it became the drink, uh, but to differentiate it from a lot of other tonics, this was back in the 1800s when all these quackeries that everybody had all these tonics for everything. This was called Indian tonic. They distinguished this is what you put in with your gin um, to drink as a cocktail as opposed to the one that you know, solves whatever other uh, malady you had. Interesting, and I'm I'm studying for the master sommelier exam, and I was talking about spirits and studying spirits, and it, there was an English tax that uh, um, w- really helped boost the the production of uh, bathtub gin back then. Yeah. So they were taxing other spirits, and so this whole thing came up. It was the uh, the gin craze of the day, and you know the exactly. term gin joints. Um, so Indian tonic, it, it's is it a little more sweet or a little more bitter? Or? Yeah. So compared to our original tonic water, yeah, it's a little more both bitter and sweet. Um, it's kind of purpose-built to mix with um, uh, London dry gins or kind of bigger gins. Sure. Um, and uh, I guess the thought is that you need a bigger tonic water to meet with mix with a bigger gin. Okay. Um, right. So our original That's... one is designed more for kind of what these called new age gins, the ones that have a little more subtlety going on, uh, you know, a little less juniper, a little more other stuff, whether it be something like Hendrix or Dorothy Parker uh, or Monkey Shoulder or whatever that is, uh, whatever you, way you want to go. Um, sure. Yeah, or aviation or whatever, I guess that's for the Pacific Northwest. That's it, uh, yeah. Whereas, whereas the um, Indian tonic or Q Indian tonic is more for Tangeray, Bee Feeder, maybe Junipero, something with like a, a bigger punch and a little less subtlety. All right, my grandmother was a big Bee Feeder man, rest her yep. soul. Uh, where's the ginger from in your ginger ale? Uh, Cochin, India. It's where I taste a bunch of different gingers, and this uh, tasted the best. Uh, and we use both oleo resins and oils, which gives it more depth and complexity. You taste some other ginger beers. First of all, some of them are so goddarn sweet. Sweet, yeah. Uh, yes. I think Gosling's I might have 50 oh, yeah. grams of sugar per, per can. Um, but even some of the other kind of better ones only use the oils, and as a result, they just taste like the um, sushi ginger, whereas ours actually tastes <laughs> like biting into a big thing, a uh, um, uh, big root of ginger. Like my grandparents were, ch- I mean, I'm part Chinese, so my grandparents used to cook, and I'd always end up finding the big piece of ginger they use, and I always hated it, but now, of course, uh, like I got older. Um, I see there's a little bit of haze in the ginger beer. Is that because there's more ginger particulate or more oil, per se? Yes, there's more particulate. There's also a little agave, but yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, ask, why is there stuff in your in your bottles? I was like, because there's stuff in our bottles. That's right. It's real stuff. It shows you it's real. Exactly. Um, let's talk about the grapefruit. This has got a little bit of ruby red color. It's just got a pink tinge. It's uh, part of the rosé craze almost. Tell me about this. So my wife is a big Paloma drinker, and this is designed for Palomas. So it's designed to mix with tequila or mezcal. Um, you guys roll. And, I like it. You're, you're a big gin drinker. Why is it a big Paloma drinker? Yeah, we, we get along good. Um, <laughs> and the, um, the grapefruit, what makes it special is the same things that makes the other things special. So we use a lot of real grapefruit oils in, in, our, in, in this, um, Q grapefruit. Uh, not too much sugar and a lot, a lot of carbonation. So it's a really easy way to make a delicious 
really refreshing drink. Excellent. And uh, finally, we have a cola spelled with a K, and it makes me think yeah. of a koala because I have relatives in Australia. Tell me about this. Where do you find cola nuts? So cola comes from cola nuts. Um, uh, cola nuts are native to, um, to West Africa, and they actually have naturally occurring caffeine. Um, uh, you know, back in the day, hunters used to chew cola nuts on a long hunt um, to keep them going. Um, and when I decided to make coca cola, leaves, I thought that's what that was about. Yeah. No, that's the uh, that's the coca part. Right. Yeah. Um, the cola, Coca Cola. Uh, the cola part is the uh, from the cola nut. And uh, making cola is actually the hardest flavor to make of all the rest of them because there's no such thing as cola flavor there's coca-cola flavor um right which is really really tart and that's and then sugar and then uh there's caramel so so coca-cola was started by this guy john pemberton who uh was in the civil war and had a um, pharmacist right yeah, a pharmacist, but uh, he basically figured um, out that people would like something that ha- was made with wine, caffeine, and cocaine. <laughs> Not surprisingly, it was really, really popular. Um, uh, and he called it, uh, he had the cocaine and the, co- the naturally occurring caffeine from cola, so he called it Coca-Cola. Oh. Um, and 1904 or 5, whatever, when the... Um, FDA was created. Uh, they outlawed putting cocaine um, yeah. and wine in, in commercially available products. So they had to reformulate, um, and they we, basically just did. You know, here in Seattle, we, we've uh, basically legalized all drugs in small quantities these okay. days. So Okay, good. Yeah, um, you know, I can, you can see you got syringes everywhere. Uh, give me a website that people can find information and uh, a little more about your recipes and cocktails and things like that. QMixers.com. So Q, the letter, mixers like... Uh, Mixers.com. Very cool. Uh, and these are available, are they sold in four packs or six packs, uh, different size so bottles? So there are four packs. We have a variety of different packaging configurations. We have glass, 6.7-ounce bottles, which are sold in four packs. We have 7.5-ounce cans, which are sold in four packs. And then we have bigger 500 ml and 750 ml glass bottles. And in the Seattle area, uh, they're at BevMo, Total Wine, Safeway, Fred Meyer, uh, QFC, uh, as well as a host of other um, uh, better retailers and uh, uh, only the finest shops, all the spectacular shops. Hey, Jordan Silbert, uh, well, congratulations! I'm tasting your cola. It's uh, very well balanced and just subtly sweet with a little bit of uh, acidity here, uh, but great depth of flavor. Congratulations on uh, creating something worthwhile and spectacular. And thanks for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. All right, folks. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Hey, it's summertime. We'll be back with lots more coming up here on Happy Hour Radio. Start your day the right way. The Commute with Carlson, live and local, weekdays 6 to 9 a.m., Talk Radio 570, KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan.
All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back. Time for round three. Hope you got something tasty in your glass. And uh, speaking of all those tasty mixers we were talking about, it's time to get some alcohol going here. And I have uh, one of my favorite beverages, one of my favorite categories of spirits is rum. Um, There's something that I just really love about rum. Obviously, I think it's less wood, perhaps, uh, and less new wood, unlike bourbons and, uh, and of course, no peat from whiskey, scotch whiskey. But rum uh, is is pleasant, and I guess when you're drinking rum, you're probably in some place tropical, and that probably has something to do with it, near a beach, I'm sure, and I do dig the beach. Uh, I've got a brand new product here. It's out of Key West, and uh, uh, the uh, national brand manager is... uh, uh, um, Lindsay Cops Monday, and she's actually um, spending Saturday night down in Key West at the headquarters. Hey, Lindsay, welcome to Happy Hour. Hey, thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. I know we have a little time difference here, and it's this wonderful Saturday night, but uh, the nightlife just gets going down in uh, Key West, right, about midnight. Absolutely. It's pretty much all day long, and I can say right now it's absolutely gorgeous with always a chance of rain, but um, always a good time here in Key West. Yeah, warm rain, I'm sure. Uh, Let's talk about um, uh, Papa Pilar. Uh, When did this idea of of, uh, recognizing Ernest Hemingway come about? So the idea has been around for some time. Um, We launched in 2012, but of course there's a lot that goes into that prior to. And first and foremost was kind of knocking on the door of uh, the Hemingway family and talking about this uh, crazy and awesome idea with them. Um, And we actually had a chance to sit down with um, some key members, um, his son himself, Patrick Hemingway, um, and he was just kind of blown away by the concept. I think they had looked at some spirits prior, but um, the way that this was done um, and uh, everything from the storyline, the packaging, and, and kind of what we were wanting to bring to life with Papa and his boat, the Pilar, um, they were just floored. And what was really cool about that conversation was um, Patrick Hemingway said, you know, this is great, but one thing that we really want to do is we want to donate a majority of our proceeds back to charity. And that's what they've done from the inception um, since 2012 when we launched. Um, so it's, it's, it's a, a commitment to felt philanthropy and then on the brand side we do what we can um, locally and regionally to to um, bring some awareness to things that would be um, that Hemingway was really inspired by around um, adventure and, and conservation and literacy. Oh, interesting. Uh, I like that we're um, preserving Hemingway's legacy. And of course, I believe he did like the daiquiri quite a bit. <laughs> He did spend some time down in Cuba and um, at the La Floridita, and, and you'll find that with our blonde rum, um, you know, we, we didn't kind of set out to create a category. What we were really trying to do is, you know, when we're looking back at rums back in the 30s and 40s when Papa was hanging out on a bar stool at the La Floridita and enjoying a couple of those daiquiris, um, the blonde rum really emulates the coloring of rum back then, um, and it really makes a beautiful classic daiquiri as well as a Hemingway daiquiri. Well, I've got uh, both of the blonde and the dark rum, uh, the Pilar Dark, uh, in my glass. i got two glasses here. And I'm really surprised. Uh, uh, the blonde has got a, a lot of aromatics here. It smells like it's seen some, some oak. And uh, tell me about this particular expression. Absolutely. So we're really kind of um, excited about celebrating the art of blending. And we have one of the best um, behind behind us, Master Blender Ron Call. He comes to us with 45 years of experience in both whiskey and rum. And uh, what he's doing is he's hand-selecting some of the finest rums from throughout the Caribbean, Central America, um, North America, South America. And then we're creating this um, 
blending process where the blonde is actually going through a Solera style. Um, it's spending time in American oak bourbon barrels. And then it's also spending time in Spanish Oloroso sherry cask. So what you're probably tasting is some of that vanilla and oak from that time in the barrel. Right. Um, so it's taking on some of those nuances. And then a little bit of that that spice and that really cool nuance from that um, Oloroso sherry. It's quite flavorful. I, I'm really impressed by that that sense of sweetness from the vanilla. And yet the color doesn't look like it's it's been influenced much by the bourbon and or the Oloroso sherry casks. It's, uh, it's rather just a very, very light, uh, almost manila color. Yeah, you'll see it's kind of a straw-like color. Um, and again, I think it does surprise people when they look on a shelf and they're seeing some of those white rums, those light rums. This is really, you know, taking on some of those those nuances from that aging. Um, and as you can see, it's super sippable, right? Like, I don't know how many light rums you can just sit there, pour over a rock or even neat and just sip on. Um, I know we talked about the daiquiri. It makes an, an amazing cocktail um, a classic cocktail like that, or even like a boat cocktail with a little ginger beer. I like to put a little splash of bitters and call it a bitter blonde. But um, really, <laughs> it's it's pretty impressive that you can just uh, sip away. Uh, I, I agreed. Kind of, you know, when I th- when what I have tasting, what are you getting? Well, um, again, I'm I'm getting layers of flavor here. I get toffee. I get vanilla. Uh, uh, there is a a little bit of pecan pie in there. I mean, that's just how mm-hmm. I, I gather it. Um, and on the on the palate, it has a hint of sweetness, which I think helps round out some of the edges, but this is 84 proof, which I really dig because most of it's 80. And when you have flavors such as this that can have a little uh, vanilla, toffee, sweetness, they're typically 70 proof uh, or yeah, 70 proof spirits. And I, you know, I'm not into that. I want something that is is as the purest possible and not quite adulterated with some of the the, the sugars and and um, uh, colorings and things like that. And this doesn't have any color to it, so obviously it's got to be a natural or is it filtered? I'm curious. We do have to um, carbon filter a little bit um, just so that we can round out the coloring. But, um, yeah, you're picking up on on the process and, and those notes. I mean, our, our goal is to create something that's super, super bold. It's blended and it's all things Hemingway. And I think um, you hit the nail on the head with those, um, with the tasting notes. Thank you. Uh, let's move on to the uh, Papa Pilar, Papa's Pilar Dark. Tell me about this Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Yeah, so you, you mentioned um, overproofed, and I, I think you're right on there. Most of the rums that you see, and I can't speak across the board, but you're seeing a lot of 80 proof. What we really wanted to do was create something that stood out in a glass, whether it was neat or in a cocktail. Um, we didn't want to just kind of hide it away. So um, Papa's Pilar Dark, um, bold, complex. It has a lot of depth to it. It has a lot of strong bourbon influences um, in both the process and formula. This is taking a, um, a similar approach in the blending process. We're sourcing these rums, um, again, from um, the same locations um, as the blonde, the um, Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Panama, Barbados, um, Barbados in the dark. And um, then we're going through the Solera-style process where it's spending time in those American oak barrels. We're adding a layer of port wine cast. So this dark rum is, is you know, the, the rum is interacting with that previous occupant in each of these um, blending styles. And then uh, Master Blender Roncal is doing a final layer in that Spanish Oloroso sherry cast. So, again, um, a completely different experience. Um, and as you can kind of tell as you're tasting with me, I don't, I don't want you tasting alone, of course. <laughs> um, you know, the, the complex notes of kind of vanilla, you might be getting a little coffee and cinnamon. 
Um, what I had the, the benefit of doing prior to putting our liquid in a bottle is I, I kind of uh, jaunted across the country and spoke with rum enthusiasts, experts, nosing analysts, and across the board, they just said, listen, very few spirits, let alone rums, yield complexity, depth, and length. And uh, they felt that we kind of hit the nail on, on all those heads. So we're pretty proud of that. Again, this is an 86 proof. Um, but I think as you'll find that just as it as you start to get some of that proof in the in the taste, it backs away and it just has a really nice length. Well, it has a little bit of heat to it, but when you think about bourbons, um, typically they'll have heat and they'll finish with some of that spice, whether it's from the rye or barley or or even uh, sweetness from the corn and of course all the oak. But this is really a unique expression mm-hmm. because it's it has the the weight of rum. It has that smooth and I'll call it the sugarcane juice finish, where it's not bitter. It's not doesn't give you that spicy burn, which I get from like a rye bourbon, uh, but you get all the oak influence and it, it, it really finishes with just the sweetness of oak um, and just a little bit of oak tannin, which I think helps dry the palate. Exactly. And I think it's a really nice alternative to whiskey. Obviously, that's super hot rum. And um, I should say ultra premium rum is, is kind of getting a little of that bourbon stardust. Um, and I, I think that uh, it, this is time for rum, um, high end rum to shine. And it does really, really well on its own. But again, if you're looking for um, a fine cocktail, try out like a Papa's Old Fashioned or um, a Manhattan. And uh, it really kind of stands out. It certainly does. So um, is there a website people can find information, a little story about Hemingway and perhaps some of the charity and or cocktails that uh, can be derived from this delicious elixir? Absolutely. Go to papaspilar.com and you'll find out about what we were initially inspired. You know, Papa's Pilar is an ultra premium blended rum, um, of course, inspired by one of the world's greatest adventurers, Ernest Hemingway, and his boat, the Pilar. So um, one thing that you'll find is a great storyline about all the things that he, of course, was. He was an author, a free thinker, an adventurer, a sportsman. But he was never a spectator, right? We know Papa. He did not sit on the sidelines. And while we know him as this amazing author, he was just so much more than that. So it's really an homage to Hemingway's adventures and an inspiration to all of yours. Thank you so much. Hey, uh, Lindsay Cops Monday with Papa Pilar, National Brand Director. Thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. Cheers. Hey, folks, stick around. I'm going to give you a little download about all my adventures recently in the town of Seattle. Uh, Stick around right here on 570 KVI. Tune it in and turn it up. Cruise home with Kirby. The Kirby Wilbur Show, live and local, weekdays 3 to 6 p.m. KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back. Time for our fourth and final segment. And my, uh, what's been going on in my life recently? Uh, I just had a fantastic uh, five-hour masterclass in a, a bodacious uh, reception and dinner with the wines of British Columbia. And I have to tell you, uh, I've tasted British Columbia wines before in the past. Um, I remember even in 2003 being a very hot summer here in Seattle. One of the first ones ever was the best summer. It was really 70-plus degrees every darn uh, day and sunshine um, and a very hot year for the entire globe. If you remember, France was suffering and Italy and Spain were suffering. And and people actually lost their lives due to uh, the, the intensive heat. And we know that recently that took place 
uh, over the the continent of Europe. And um, so this whole idea of, uh, well, fossil fuels, and maybe we're all just breathing too much. <laughs> we got to hold our breath longer, let some of that CO2 dissipate somehow. Um, but uh, I got to say that the wines of British Columbia have come a long way. And, and I, I, I have to admit, I'm sure they... They showed us the best ones, and that's what you want to do. Um, you know, I didn't care for every wine. I think there was a Gamay that was a little bit bready and just a little weird for me. Uh, but I tell you, we had a some sparkling wines from British Columbia, um, fantastic, a Blanc de Blanc and a, a Rosé from uh, Pinot Noir, uh, also um, a great Sauvignon Blanc and a, uh, a, sorry, a Riesling, and then, of course, the Chardonnay. Now, Chardonnay is really a standard for, for any country trying to produce wine. If they're making Chardonnay, we can all compare it to something that we like, whether it's uh, Russian River or Napa Valley or, you know, dare I say, Washington or Oregon. But really, it's about France and Burgundy and Chablis and, of course, the Cote de Bone, which is known for uh, Pouligny Montrachet, Chasson Montrachet, Merceau, and um, some of the other ancillary uh, appellations uh, like Saint Romain <clears throat> or Oxydores. Um, but, of course, even further south is the Maconnais and uh, this is great wines from the Macon, which are a little riper, uh, a little fuller bodied, um, less brilliant acidity, uh, and a little less oak because they don't quite get the, the dollars for it. But British Columbia had a fantastic Chardonnay. And then we went into some red wines. The Gamay Noir, like I said, was just a little bit funky. Um, but we had uh, some Syrah. And I think Syrah is a great another indicator of the, the talent and the vineyard and the care and thoughtfulness that people put into a wine because you're not just making Syrah. Um, this isn't, you know, pepper Pepperwood Grove for five ninety nine at the store. And which is just bulk wine, but this is really thoughtful, um, site-specific, cooler climate because the the uh, Okanagan Valley and of course the Similkameen and and uh, Kelowna, um, uh, Fraser Valley, these are are really uh, valleys in mountains, and so you get a great you get great heat units, but you also have fantastic diurnal shift which means that that's the difference between temperature of the hottest part of the day and temperature part of the the coolest part of the night. And uh, diurnal shifts, if you have cool temperatures at night, it allows the, the grapes to maintain their respiration and, and acidity. And I think when you, when you get too hot, the grapes have to protect themselves so they start using up or expelling some of their, their acidity in, in, in hopes of uh, maintaining them, their viability. Um, for, for some reason, grapes are kind of like little people trying to... Um, <laughs> trying to survive. Uh, and of course, when it's too hot, the, the vines shut down. Um, we had one of the best wines of the night was a Bordeaux-style blend uh, with uh, Petit Verdot and, and Malbec and um, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc. I, I was just blown away that everything, it's easy to get stuck and say, hey, I remember tasting British Columbia and I've got this opinion on it. But these days, the, the, that opinion should shift because you, we can't have a, a preconceived notion about it. And I was skeptical, and I think that's just some of the bias and some of my uh, oity-toitiness about being a, a wine professional. But um, it was very eye-opening, very slap-in-the-face, uh, aqua velva kind of moment. Like, hey, give every wine a chance. Give every region a chance because this is – you have to go with an open mind and, and no prejudice, no prejudgment. Um, and I guess it's hard for me, and I'm sure it's hard for, for some of my fellows, but this blew me away. And congratulations to bcwine.com. Um, yeah, I want you to check out their site, and uh, I will post some of these um, fantastic wines. I got some pictures on the Facebook page, Happy Hour Radio, 
Net. Uh, it, it is July. Uh, it's time to get out there. Um, we have the Red, White, and Brew Seattle Magazine's big competition tasting, and uh, it's going to be fun. This is, this is over at the Seattle Center. It's coming up uh, uh, next weekend, and um, on some of the shows I've got coming up, too, I have a great opportunity to taste a lot of spirits, and uh, I'm going to just go ahead and tease you. I've got uh, the Remus Repeal Reserve, the Rossville Union, the George Remus, and the Eight and Sand. These are all expressions of uh, American whiskey or bourbon and rye. Um, really tasty. Uh, I'm going to have Andy Mancini, who is the uh, uh, executive director of the brands. <laughs> You're going to sh- we're going to share some some sips and samples um, in the coming show next week. So hope you enjoyed today's show. It's always a pleasure to have you listening. Be sure to tell your friends. And uh, if you're doing the Twitter, 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 uh, it's at Happy HR Radio. And if you're out and about, remember, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers!